It's episode 43 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me are Ryan Topp and J.P. Breen. And hey, we had another Facebook game this past week. Oh, and I actually caught a little bit of this one yeah. while I was eating lunch. Did you enjoy the announcers for this one? <laughs> it was something else. I didn't even realize it was Plesak. I did figure out that it was, uh, what's his face, though? Jason Mott. Jason Mott. Yeah, a lot of people were complaining. They're like, is this a Cardinals broadcast? I'm like, they have two former relievers from each team. Well, a lot of people, I specifically said that like on open Twitter and in our group chat. Yeah, I, I mean, I was annoyed by it. I was well, like, the entire thing was being analyzed from the lens of a Cardinals fan or of a Cardinals player. That what? is something you would particularly be sensitive to. It just was annoying. I'm like, why are we talking about everything is like, what, what, uh, uh, who is the starting pitcher that day? It was the kid who, Alex Reyes. It was like, well, what does he need to do to get this out? Like, oh, yeah. What? And then he broke afterwards. Mm, yeah. Did you see, actually, it just came out today that Mike Matheny said Alex Reyes actually felt a strain in his lap muscle and his final rehab start didn't tell anyone and oh. then still came up to the big leagues. That's, and that's uh, good. Yeah, so now, well, which in some ways you're like, that's either somebody trying to fight through it, but in the other, on the other hand, he's he's knows that if he says anything, he's not getting up to the big leagues and he's not getting paid. Sure, but he probably just said him. He probably just set himself back quite a bit further. Well, which hold now, on, you know what he's saying here? If he goes on the DL in the minors, mm. he's on the minor league DL. No, that's he's true. He's not getting major league pay. Oh, he's on so Reyes is the, a genius. Well, this this has been an accusation that's been hurled at a number of players over time. You know, not not disclosing he saw, getting to the majors and then hitting the DL. He saw Nick Franklin, and he knew <laughs> he knew the way to work the system after that. I mean, there there are, have been Brewers players since like that. I've had family members say that like Brewers players have been accused of faking injury to be able to stay up on the big league DL. I was waiting for you to go there, and. You know, eventually it fi- eventually it comes out and, you know, they are injured. Like, players don't want to be injured, but it comes out a lot. No, you only get paid for that year then. I mean, it's not a long-term career if move. If you're going to get hurt, it pays to get hurt on the big league roster. It like, does. Seriously. So, but I will say, last thing about that Facebook game, that's a game that normally wouldn't have been broadcast. I'm just saying. So yeah, people who complain. Me, that's, not, that's not an excuse for them to be like, well, we've got a couple of minutes to kill here after. Oh, this no, 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 no. But I mean, the people who are Facebook comments, the people who are complaining like, oh, my God, why is this game on Facebook? It's like, well, normally this game would not be broadcast. So you can either watch it on Facebook and well, deal with everything that comes with that or just you know, if, go back you, to not having games I, on TV. I think, to be fair, what the, the larger concern is that it's kind of a harbinger of things to come, right? It's not the fact that this one particular game is on Facebook. It's that this is a signal that more games are going to be on Facebook as it goes on. I mean, whatever they can sell, whatever. I it, I can watch it on mute. Fa- I don't care. Facebook, I mean, yeah, but Facebook and Twitter have actually started to make bids for mm-hmm. like big time sports. Well, and there have been NFL games exclusive to Twitter, and that was a year or two ago. Yeah, now already. they're on. Now they're on Amazon. Yes. And no, they aren't. Normally, they're not exclusive. They're available elsewhere. Plus, if they have more games available on Facebook or something like that, they're also going to be using like actual announcing teams, and they're going to have uh, yeah. a broadcast that's you know has some production value to it, as opposed Certainly. to just hey, let's, still gonna, let's still just you know, as opposed to hearts floating all over the screen. You didn't like that? You can yeah. get rid of that. I, I thought that it. it took See, me a little while to figure out how, though. I figured that was how going. Ryan watched a game. 
<laughs> when you sit there watching a game with Ryan, you can actually see the hearts float around his head as he's thinking yeah, about the He actually has those stuffed emojis that he yeah. throws at the television as he watches it. I'm picturing, what is it, uh, Lucy? No, not Lucy Van Pelt. Uh, Charlie Brown's little sister with the hearts always coming out of her head. Whenever she sees Lyme. Yes. Yes. That's what I was Sally? picturing. Sally. Yeah, it's Sally. I'm just talking about you with like those stuffed poop emojis, like chucking it at the television when something bad happens. There are stuffed poop emojis. Ryan's Ryan's got, Ryan's got the hearts. I got the poop emojis to throw at him. So <laughs> anyways, uh, hey, help fans find this podcast. You can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we want listener questions. So follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash mketailgate. Our ball and glove level patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, and there's going to be a draft recap coming up here in the next week or so. Mm -hmm. Right? That is the plan. So uh, join that and get the... uh, Awesome draft recap, minor league extra. Uh, Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon Ford Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. And look for America AF this Thursday, June 8th. It's a watermelon Berliner Kolsch, and that's perfect for hot summer days. So you excited for that one, Ryan? Mm, Kolsches, whatever. On a hot day, sitting by the grill? Uh, it's never too hot for an IPA. And Okay. J- JP likes <laughs> I was going to say, you were going to ask me if I was excited about it and then like realized halfway through that that was a stupid question. I, I figured you were a watermelon guy, right? No? <laughs> no. If, if there I'm was actually, watermelon I'm in your beer. I'm allergic to watermelon, which is weird. What? It's yeah, like it's, it's really like weird. water and melon yeah, and, and some melon. <laughs> Minimal melon, mostly water. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't try that one, JP? No, I prefer to not have hives. <laughs> Well, I guess if that if that's what you end up with. But you know what? I'll go out and try it. So anyways, uh, look for it at the Carbon 4 Tap Room on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's East Side and at a retailer near you. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so the Brewers just finished up as we're uh, starting to record here, and they lost uh, 2 of 3 to the White Sox. Everybody freak out. Are we all freaking out at this point? Well, I did You're get to freaking see some out. Ni- I did get to see some nice things on Twitter about how they were 0 for 16 with runners in scoring position. And if they didn't hit any home runs, they couldn't score. So it was nice to see that narrative come back for the first time they lost a series in like a month. Yeah. Well, Matt Elbers had a rough series, which, you know, happens. It does. I mean, he wasn't going to stay down in a low ones ERA forever. He did last season. I mean, Jeremy Jeffress gave up some runs since that the was, last time we've done a podcast. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, with the way the bullpen has been pitching, I mean, anytime they give up runs, it's like, oh, well, what the hell? Well, unless it's Boone Logan, but we'll get there. <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing is they've won so many close games. You can see what would happen if they had a very just mediocre bullpen. Yeah. And I mean, they still did well to shut down teams when they brought out their big guns over the last 
few days. I mean, they were able to shut down the White Sox. Granted, on Saturday, they didn't end up needing it because the offense then spiked and gave them a cushion at the end of the game. But they also did that against the Cardinals on Wednesday where they were able to get the outs in a tough situation to keep a a close lead. And what was it? Friday was the first time that they lost a game where they had had a two-run lead. That's the the big Paul Noonan stat. Sure. I mean, that was a pretty early two-run lead. I understand the stat. but Right. No, it was an early two-run lead. And they... That wasn't like they were past the, like, sixth inning and you're talking about just the bullpen covering it. Because Anderson gave up, like, five runs. I think he... He struggled again, yeah. But he he got he ended up getting tagged with those runs, even though I think Elbers came in and gave up the last two. That sounds right. Something like that. Yeah. He came in with guys on. So, um, but they did take two of three from the Cardinals mm-hmm. before they took one of three from the White Sox. So, I mean, five hundred for the week. Yeah, and you're gonna have series like this. That's just you know, it's baseball. It is, and you, I think the dis- you have a three and three week against a good team and a bad team, and. Well, and go, considering okay, a lot of the offense fine. against the Cardinals was like bloopers all over the place, they were a little bit due for some kind of the I think it was what was it Friday's game against the White Sox that they didn't really hit anything all that hard, but they just kept finding holes and they were able to score a bunch of runs that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that happens, especially Matt Albers, who's not going to strike out a lot of guys, right? Like he's going to give up some some different things, obviously. Uh, Sunday's game was a little bit different when Matt Albers came in, but so are we seeing uh, maybe the the bullpen uh, sustaining this level of production? Are we kind of seeing where this is headed a little bit? Um, you know, a little bit of I don't know. Do I want to say regression to the mean? Sure. I mean, there's some of that that's likely to happen because nobody is as good as what they have been over the first couple months of the season. But I think if you if you're looking for reasons to be hopeful about it. I think you can point to things like Taylor Williams. There's a discussion being had on Twitter this morning. Taylor Williams has, over his last seven uh, innings, you know, eight strikeouts, no walks. He has stopped walking people, at least for now. So he seems to have maybe figured something out. And if somebody like him or an Adrian Hauser or a even a Jorge Lopez, it's a longer shot, but whatever, they have young guys that can potentially step in and maybe pick up some of the slack here, where if somebody does go into the tank, if we decide that you know Matt Albers isn't really fit to pitch in high leverage that often, there's a possibility that somebody like Williams could step up and then make that unnecessary anyway. You know what I mean? You could, you could just replace and swap those guys out. So they do have some guys who have promising upside to potentially replace guys who may be overperforming. So there's still some wiggle. So you're there. ready to replace Matt Elbers already. That's good to know that it just took. Yeah, one, that's exactly one, what I said. One weekend and Ryan's ready to dump Matt Elbers. So yeah, that's it, exactly what I said. It, was there anything that concerned you this weekend, JP? No, not really. I mean, I, that's a super short answer, but it's <laughs> okay. It's three, it's, it's, three, it's, three, it's three games. The only thing that was really strange was to see how badly the offense really seemed to struggle against guys who didn't want to throw fastballs um, like Jake, Jake Peavy was absolutely, he barely threw any of his like EFIS curves all year. I think I looked at Brooks baseball cause I was like, I don't even remember him throwing this pitch. And he's only thrown it the last couple of years and he's only thrown it like two or 3% of the time. And uh, at most 
I think last month it was 2%. And he threw it almost a dozen times to the Brewers and he got multiple strikeouts on it. And it was just, he was just throwing sliders, curveballs, like split changes, cutters, and he didn't want to throw fastballs and just the Brewers hitters just couldn't handle it. And every single time seeing junk ballers come through, I was surprised to see the Brewers struggle against them because they haven't to for the vast majority of the season. Um, so it's not a long-term like cause for concern, but that was like the only thing that was really surprising to see. Is there any worry about being so reliant on the top of the lineup? Because Aguilar was hitting the heck out of the ball. Shaw's gotten hot. Yelich, Kane. I mean, you look at the top and you say, yeah, they can score some runs, but they still haven't gotten production down at the bottom when you kind of maybe need some help occasionally. VR has been better, and he is hitting for some power now. We've seen him with a, you know, not a dramatic power outburst, but he's hitting for more power than he was early in the season over the past three, four weeks. So that's helpful. Pena is Pena, and we're going to hopefully the best thing to do with Pena is going to be to get him more time off and to not have him have to be out there as much as he's been. And I think that will help him hitting wise. It will help him defensively. It will help everything. Um, and Orlando RC is back. So that's weird, but because he was why, only down a couple would days. Why Pena not playing as often help his bat? I mean, because generally we make the argument that guys not playing every day, it's actually much harder to hit. Right. He has, he definitely wore down at the end of last season. Well, Well, he's not, he's not hitting at the beginning of the season when he should be fresh. Right. So yeah, you can make the argument that maybe that doesn't matter as much. I'm, I thought you were going to make the argument that I was much more partial to and that it's Eric Kratz has two homers and has massive forearms and (laughs) is like a monster. Yeah, that, you know, <laughs> if anything we get out of Eric Kratz, it's like the, the Tyler Saladino thing. You know, while it worked, it was great. But well, Bandy yeah. got option to AAA, correct? Yeah, well, Bandy is staying with the team. Yeah, he, he got, wasn't he optioned. Yeah, he, he, he got DFA'd. He wasn't claimed and decided to stay. Okay. So, which actually, Ryan, I was surprised. I was surprised to see that he wasn't claimed. So, Ryan's worry was overblown because he was worried. Did you listen to what JP just said? I did. He said that he was surprised that he, yeah, I did, but I know that we've talked about this. But I, I'm also, I think Ryan and I were yelling at each other on the phone once for about an hour <laughs> over whether or not Jet Bandy would be claimed if he was DFA'd. We should just record those sometimes and make them like a, an additional <laughs> podcast for, like, for Patreon sponsors. <laughs> Physically, how did you have that discussion for an hour? I usually, well, I have Bluetooth in my car. So usually if you were to see me on like the commute home and I'm talking to Ryan, you'd see this like crazy person in his car, like just yelling at nothing. (laughs) So it's like, it's road rage plus. Yes. Talking to Ryan. Maybe that's why all these, uh, these nails keep finding your tires. (laughs) No (laughs) shit. Oh my God. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, so that's how when I say Ryan and I were talking on the phone and it was like an hour, it's usually a commute thing. So. And it's usually like 20 minutes, but that's true. <laughs> I remember when your your mom, when you were still on your parents' plan, once complained that we, we racked up minutes. And this is when you had to like deal with minutes yeah. on, on cell phone plans. We racked up minutes like a couple of teenage girls. So that was back when the uh, kids used to talk to each other on the phone. Now they just Snapchat. Yeah, I think so. So, it's, anyways, we're gonna move on. Uh, sound so old. <laughs> we are old. So, um, anyways, Zach Davies, 
hey, he's back on the DL with a shoulder inflammation. Inflammation? Inflammation. Yes. Uh, JP, are we worried about this? I mean, not any more than we were before. I think the fact that he's on the DL is just because the Brewers don't need a fifth starter for a while, and they wanted to be able to bring up G-Man Choi for uh, American League play. So it's just something that makes some sense. He still obviously needs time, um, even though he's been back. I mean, his stuff still isn't very good. Um, is it a strength issue, or is it more just he needs time to get the feel back on his pitches because he's he needs his command to be able to be effective? I mean, I, I honestly think he's probably been hurt all year. And the I command mean, has seemed shaky, which is not normal for him. I, yeah, but that can come and go at times, right? I mean, we even saw last last year at the beginning of the year, his command wasn't great. Yeah, he got knocked around for almost two months, and then he got on. Yeah, it was, it was shorter than that, but yes, he did early get knocked around. I was going to say, it really only was like four starts at the beginning of the year, but it was notable like when you start to talk about shoulder inflammation like these are things that come up over a long period of time it's not something that all of a sudden appears in one start and i don't i mean i there must not be any structural damage we haven't heard anything about tests and we don't we don't hear anything other than like it doesn't feel right or there is inflammation or it's sore um but the fact that not only are we seeing consistently poor performances, but he is the first person to be able to go on the DL. And when you go on the DL, you have to actually prove it. You can't just put people on the DL for fun. Um, but of course, as we saw with like Wei Jung Wong back in the day, like you can, or actually what we saw with the, the Carlos Gomez trade that fell through, like you can find anything in a medical to be able to put somebody on the DL. Right. The um, Dodgers have been doing that a lot. Okay, well, Zach Davies is on the DL. Eric Thames looks like he's getting ready to return. So um, I think people are worried about a little bit of a, a roster issue between Thames and Jesus Aguilar, who had been carrying the offense for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't think either of them are going anywhere. Well, uh, I, JP, did you think that was an option, that they would actually get rid of one of the two? No. 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 That, that was never an option. I it would be like gobsmacking if they were to actually get rid of Jesus Aguilar. No, but I guess what is the rotation that you see at first base when things well, gets back? T- to be fair, though, there is absolutely a scenario in which they could leverage one of them to upgrade, say, the starting rotation or something. Right, but that's a different question. Right, I would say that's a total. To, yeah, that's a totally they're different. They're not deal. going to cut them. Right. No. But there is a scenario in which they could figure out another way to be able to leverage the fact that they have two quality hitters for one position. Sure. Yeah. And so what I mean, is, okay. as it stands right now, it's when you get Thames back, you start Thames against most right handers and you are perfectly happy with that because he absolutely murders right handers. So and Aguilar is going to get into games. They will use them. Council, if they're both on the roster, will use them to make substitutions and get people because this is what council does. He moves the pitcher spot around the lineup so that he can let guys go multiple innings. So just because one of them starts the game doesn't mean that the other one isn't going to come in in the sixth inning and you're going to bounce that around and whatever. He has lots of flexibility. And if any manager can make this work, it's Craig council because that's he's, that's what he does. He does that constantly. But so. Aguilar was getting playing time before Thames got hurt. Yep. So, I mean, I think the balancing act is if you have Braun healthy, 
along with Aguilar and Thames. I think that's where you then see how do they rotate in Santana, Braun, Thames, Aguilar. You know? Yeah, and make that work with Kane and Yelich playing most days. Yes. Yeah, yeah I mean, Yelich is slid into center basically as the you know day off for Kane. Mm-hmm. And then that opens up both corners for Braun and Santana to both start. I mean, JP, is is this a problem or is this kind of a luxury for Council as far as uh, being able to just play with the lineup however he wants? Uh, it's a luxury. I mean, I think one of the most interesting things, I know that Steve will be annoyed that I talk about soccer here for a minute too, but it's it's a conversation that's had, whether you're talking about like when the summer transfer window opens for soccer teams, you know, they're always like, we need to buy players. We need to buy players. And then they buy players and they say, well, now we have too many players for the starting, like the starting lineup. How are they all going to find time? Um, but as the season goes along, depth is important. Um, and it's the exact same way that we see in baseball that you need to be able to have the depth to be able to go through. Now there's a, a legitimate conversation to be had for how do you leverage like, how do you best leverage the depth that you have, right? That's absolutely a different question than saying, how do you, how do you like manage a, a, a team that has too many good players? Like, that's not really an issue. And to be honest, what I would actually do is probably not play Eric Thames all that much at, at the beginning. Like, I don't think there's that much to be gained for him to go out on a rehab assignment, come back and immediately like start playing every four or five days a week because it depends on where Aguilar is in terms of his hitting and where he's, how he's doing. I mean, I guess, but if we're talking about this as a legitimate discussion, it's a long-term assumption that Aguilar is actually a good hitter. Not that like Aguilar might keep up a hot streak for three months. And that's something you have to manage around, right? Like it's actually having a discussion about, if, if we don't think that Aguilar is this good, it's not actually that difficult of a discussion. You say, then you put Eric Thames in and you play Jesus Aguilar against lefties and you move forward with that. Have we gone a little overboard with uh, what we now consider Jesus Aguilar is as a hitter? Probably. Okay. Well, yeah. We all got to kind of rein it in a little bit. But that's the case always, right? Sure. But I mean, that's that's also a case that when Thames comes back, like, don't freak out if they're splitting time because Jesus yeah. Aguilar is not going to be uh, who was the comp that he was hitting like Babe Ruth. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, Albert I actually Pujols, I put I on know. I put on Twitter on on Saturday that Jesus Aguilar had had a 153 weighted runs created, and that was a number that Prince Fielder only had twice in his career that like Aguilar was performing at such a high level compared to the league that he was on Prince Fielder level as far as what he's been able to do thus far. And that's obviously not sustainable. But what I will say is I think his plate discipline is far better than either it's gotten better or it's far better than I thought it or like I remembered it being. Yeah, so it'll be uh, fun to see what they do with the lineup coming up. But again, I don't think there's any, they're not going to lose anybody in this roster because of like trying to figure out playing time. So, no. Um, going back to Davies going on the DL, part of that move was Orlando Garcia getting called up, right? That was part of it? Yes. Was that specifically Wait, no, the one no, they no. did? It was, they had a whole big shuffle. They had a big on. shuffle of moves. Yeah. I get lost in, in the number of moves they make moving guys up and yeah, down. Remember, which it one it used to be so easy to keep track of like I felt like if I didn't know what was going on with the roster I wasn't really tuned in 
So like if something happened and I didn't catch it, I was like, oh, that that really surprised me. Now I look at it and I'm like, it's almost impossible just to keep up unless you're sitting there on Twitter monitoring it all the time. Yeah, it's so, almost impossible. So anyway, Saldino got injured. Uh, they called up Arcia in fewer than the 10 days. Right, because the injury allows you to do that. Because the injury allows that. Um, did Arcia get enough time in the minors? Do we think that he got anything solved down there? I, if he needed to get anything solved down there, that wasn't enough time to do it. So he's back up without having whatever they were hoping to accomplish there. Unless it was literally... I think you were only able to give like three Arcia updates on Twitter. Yes. Unless it was literally he needed like a wake up call if they felt that he needed just some sort of like, Hey, you can be sent down. You, your spot on the roster is not guaranteed. Then if that was what they were trying to accomplish, then maybe that was accomplished, but anything else that wasn't enough time to do it. So, I mean, defensively, it's still good to see him out there. Right. Right. JP. Yeah, absolutely. He offers a lot of value with the glove, but I think for me, I think it was pretty obvious that Arcia was sent down to work on a swing. I mean, they said in an interview with Sophia Minert that they had right after he got called back up, they were saying that the day that he got called up, he immediately went to the cage with the, with Jason Lane and was like working on specific things that they told him to go down and work on. Did they get like a bucket for him to keep his uh, leg in when he swings? I, they were talking a lot about creating less noise in his swing. Or do they have something that's a little more high tech than a bucket for the major league players? I don't, I don't no, know. You don't I, remember that? I, like, like I the little going, leaguers, you can't, you can't like take your foot out of the bucket or whatever it is. No, when you're I know pr- that. Yeah. I was just going to make, I, I don't know. You look confused. About, like, 3d printing or something. <laughs> well, that you want them to, I didn't expect you want out. them to 3d print the bucket. Oh, that's what I was wondering if you were wondering that. And I was like, what, what that would be a very expensive about? bucket. <laughs> I don't know if they have their own 3d printer. Maybe it just takes a little extra paper. <laughs> 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 yeah, this is off the rails already. This, yeah, that that's going nowhere. So, uh, anyways, yeah, Arcia's back. He wasn't down long enough to figure out what it did. So, no, but if he if it was enough to get him motivated to make some sort of change, do you think he was unmotivated? No, no, no. I mean, to specifically say, okay, I need to do something. I, I understand here. where players. I'm not talking about motivation here, as in like whether or not he cares. I'm talking about whether or not he sees a need to make a substantial change. And if that was enough to m- get him to see the need to make a substantial change, and I understand why a player would not want to make a substantial change, right? That makes sense. If you got to the major leagues because <laughs> if you got to the major leagues because you did something one way and that was how you always did it and that was I don't, what was successful for I you, don't think- you would be you would not want to abandon that quickly. I don't think the way Arcia was swinging was the way he got to the majors. No, it probably wasn't. It, it's some sort of degradation of, yeah, he, it's probably more he needs to get back to what he did that worked better. But still, I would understand why a player would not want to make big wholesale changes to their swing because that can be scary. Like, that would be a, a potentially scary thing to have to do, right? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. But I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a major league baseball player. I can't say it would be frightening to do that. I mean, so. I think you're grasping at straws. Yeah. If we're being honest, I think it was. I think it's a pretty easy explanation that you like want to drive into something like possibly existing that I'm not sure makes a lot of sense. It's your 
type of uh i mean you I, i'm not i'm not saying that it's not within the realm of possibility but i think with what has been said in interviews with what we've seen from arcia and the fact that you could talk about having swing changes without sending somebody down to the minors um because of that scenario you're talking about right like it has to be that craig council like and Coles or Jason Lane have gone to RC and said, we think you need to make swing changes. And he says, no. And they go, well, then you're going to get sent down to the minors. And he goes, well, then I'll get sent down to the minors. Like, I don't understand. No, it's not that it's not that dramatic, but whatever. But you then sure how make is it, it a scenario in which the only way he can have it motivated, it, like he can be motivated to make a big swing changes if he's sent down to the minors? I didn't say that. That that was the only way. I think they sent him down because he was struggling and needed to make some changes, and they saw that that was what they needed to do at that time. Like, but it was also that Saladino was hitting well, right? Sure, and he created that possibility for them yeah, to be able to do absolutely. that. He did. He gave them the wiggle room to be able to take a step back with Arcia. Yeah. Well, and then, and I don't. I don't even know if it was really a step. I mean, I guess it is a step back, but I think it was just they did it. They did this with JJ Hardy even. Like, it's well, not that, that, was, that was a famous one. That's a little bit more questionable. I I do not think that's what they were doing with JJ Hardy, but whatever. That totally you know, ruined their relationship think, with Hardy think, at the time. Yeah, but you don't think JJ, well, that's because he was up in the big leagues for longer, but they were sent him down because he needed to work on things with his they sent him down to the get, team. Was, they sent him down for 14 days. So yeah, they it could screwed pick up his, a year of, of Yeah, that screwed time. his service time. It screwed him by like a year yeah. of service time. They, that, was, that was, I don't, I don't remember that as much, but that could be. It was, oh, it was a massive issue that they, there was a lot of fighting over it too. That, that pretty much destroyed his relationship with the Brewers. It made it so that he was going to have to get traded, which they were going to do anyway because they had Alcides Escobar waiting in the wings. So they knew that that was coming. But yeah, that was... And like I remember Keith Law getting all... He went crazy about that because but it was... I, at, so, the, at that time, his performance was so bad. Oh, like, no. He was he was performing been poorly. justified being sent down. He was performing that poorly. justify it, yeah. He was performing really poorly. That justified it. Plus, they called him up a year early because he was he had an ACL injury the year before. He should not have broken he, camp. So he should not have been up as early as he was. So, I mean, overall, he was pretty much on track with where he should have been service-wise. But... This has been your what 2010? Yeah, Dick Wade Brewers. Way back that was 2009. Yeah. 2009. But I mean, yeah. like the Dodgers now are talking about sending Cody Bellinger back down to the minors to be able to get him back on track. Like it's not an unheard of thing no. that you send somebody down to the big town to the minors to be able to continue his development while the team is trying to win games. No, but JJ Hardy had been in the league at that point five years when he got sent down. Yeah, like he had been up. He was in arbitration. Like it was, yeah. it was further into the process than most. We're going to send this guy down to get it figured out. Yeah. Bellinger at best is what waiting to be a super two. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not making an argument about service time. I'm making an argument about why you would send somebody down who's struggling, who has the option to be sent down. Yeah. But, it, but again, the, the guys we're talking about all have like less than two years of service time. Like they've barely been up in the, the major leagues. Right. So you're not. Okay. I JJ Hardy's an extreme one because the guy had been up for like five years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but what's the option then? DFA him? Trade him. Yeah. Well, well and that's that what anyway, they did. Right? Yeah. And they won that trade. Oh, God, did they win that trade? Kind of. Yeah. Well, mostly. no, they really won that Hardy, trade. Hardy did not have a bad career after he But left he had two years long. after that, and then he was out the door, and they got Wait, a lot. How, of... how did they win that trade? The Brewers? 
They got Carlos yeah, Gomez. They got Carlos Gomez. Oh, what trade am I thinking of? Oh, I, I was thinking no of the trade that the the Twins sent Hardy to the Orioles, and I was yeah, like, the, the Twins like, lost. The Orioles that. gave up like two terrible relievers. It was Jim Hoey and somebody else, and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, no, I remember that trade being terrible. But no, you're exactly right. I'm thinking of when. Yeah, Hardy got Hardy was not good with the Twins. He got back on track with the Orioles. I mean, he was always good. He was always good defensively. Like JJ Hardy was always good on defense. It was Mm -hmm. whether or not the the bat looked good or looked bad was really the you know what defined him. Yeah. So so my so my freshman year roommate in college was not a Brewers fan. He was a he was a Washington Nationals fan, and so we were sitting and watching. I think it was like one of the first. Brewers games of the season. I would say and one of the first national games ever. No, so it would have been. It had to be pretty early. So, well, it would have been spring semester then, right? So, and so we were we were watching it, and like he was like he's like JJ Hardy, who's this? And I was like, well, he's a big prospect. And he was like, well, this at bat will determine whether I like him or not. And he had a homer, and then he like went out and bought a JJ Hardy like <laughs> jersey. And then when we went to, I took him to Miller Park, and he was like, he got JJ Hardy's autograph, and he was like super stoked. Oh my god! All the ladies that would be jealous of him, my my, including si- my, my wife. Had, my sister had a huge crush on JJ Hardy. My wife still, she regrets not having bought a J.J. Hardy. They're going to say she regrets not marrying J.J. Hardy. <laughs> instead of, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame her. Like. <laughs> okay, so anyways, we do have the draft coming up. Uh, I guess, do we have any predictions? Anything you've read of note going into this draft? It seems like they're connected to a lot of different people. Just all well, over they're the place. Well, 21st. Right, and, but specifically, and Keith Law has brought this up. Ray Montgomery has a tendency to take people that fall to him that they like. They don't necessarily have guys that they because in the baseball draft, this is kind of how it works. Teams will maybe target a guy and go, we think he's going to be there at the spot. We're going to take him pretty much regardless of what else might shuffle out in front of us. That's not how Ray Montgomery generally does business. He takes the best player. He absolutely can find whoever they have highest on their board and then they'll work out a deal later. You know, because that's such a big part of the draft. I mean, process he'll take, they'll, they will have their board set up with signing in mind. Well, obviously, yeah, they know one. Well, they know what it's going to take to get guys. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not literally that they're just going to take whoever falls. Right. They're going to take whoever falls that they are almost positive they can sign. Right. That they have a that they have a firm idea of what it's going to cost and that it's something they're willing to do. But. I really like the fact that it's a lot of hitters. I've seen a lot of hitters, though. Then Keith Law did say like it was a bunch of pitchers. So it, they seem to have a cast a wide net at twenty one, which that's what you would want. Yeah, if you don't know how the draft's going to fall, you have to basically be ready for anyone. So uh, JP, anything? I, I guess as far as watching the draft, is there a way that people should you know kind of watch it so they can be I don't know informed? Well, I think if you can. I would follow, uh, I think, I don't remember if I put this on Twitter or if we talked about it on on the podcast, but um, there are some really great Twitter follows for the draft going up to the draft, but also during the draft. And it's not just, you know, Callis and Mayo and all of those people are great. Keith Law is obviously good, but, um, you know, Chris Crawford is going to give great information throughout the entire draft. You're going to have Jeffrey uh, Paternostro, who's from BP. He's going to give great information. Uh, Eric Longenhagen, Kylie McDaniel, like there are a lot of people that you can follow and, you know, 2080 baseball with a lot of the guys that are over there. Um, 
you're going to have a lot of guys, a, a lot of people that you can follow on Twitter. And that's actually the best way that I find, unless you're subscribing to baseball America and you can follow a lot of scouting reports that way. Um, but I think that if you're really trying to figure out whether or not, you know, there are good values, um, quick scouting reports, whether or not the scouting industry likes a lot of the, the online kind of BP baseball, America fan graphs, 2080, what they're doing is not only bringing you their own personal scouting reports, they're actually bringing you a lot of aggregated opinions from the scouting industry. So it's a really good barometer to kind of figure out. It's not, it's not the end all be all by any stretch of the imagination, but if you're trying to figure out a way to watch the draft and be informed to me, I think that's it, as as good or, in my opinion, is probably a little bit better than just tuning into Baseball Network and just kind of looking at what they're doing. I re-upped my Baseball America subscription this morning because I was trying to read the top 500 and realized it had lapsed. So, so, my, so my Baseball America subscription <clears throat> is up to date. And uh, yeah. And but if you're looking for something baseball, I think Pipeline, MLB Pipeline does a top 200 where you can get full scouting reports there. So those are good places. Oh, I should also say um, brewerfan.net is a great is a great resource too if you're looking for just specifically brewers uh, content. But they, they always do a really nice job. Of getting the wrap-ups and things on there? Well, they do a good, they do a good job with wrap-ups. They also get a lot of proprietary stuff from Perfect Game that they're able to provide, right. which is a lot of um, uh, uh, amateur scouting reports. But then they do a really wonderful job kind of bringing the human interest pieces and a lot of the the local news coverage of a lot of these players where they're able to not only give kind of background on the players, but they get a lot of quotes right away where you can kind of feel whether or not players are likely to sign. That's much more of a big deal after the 10th round. Uh, but it's a, it's, it's always interesting. I mean, you find different things. It's, it's like when uh, the Brewers tried to, I don't, did, did they ever, they didn't ever draft Carlos Rodon, did they? They did 15th, 16th round. And oh, right. So they did draft him, but then they didn't sign him. But it came out in a local local interview that like the Brewers called him to try to take him earlier and offered him a number. And he said no. And so the Brewers didn't draft him and ended up taking him later. Right. They were going to, I think, take him in like the third or fourth round of that year's draft. Yeah. And that would but have been like, three yeah. years and before so he you was just actually get little, drafted. Yeah. You get little pieces of information like that from from uh, BrewerFan.net. And it's 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 worth checking out and um yeah i think that's yeah what was the other one mckelvey had an article this week about uh talking to jack Sorensic about oh with jake arietta yeah the jake arietta i was getting to that and you spoiled the story for me about yeah. the the ones that got away and and his biggest regret was drafting arietta as a draft and follow which doesn't exist anymore yeah they got rid of that that was part of the MLB owners wanting to limit the amount of money that prospects could get or that amateurs could get. Yeah. In some respect to the draft and follow process was a little bit rough, right? Because like you had a situation in which the, you know, any team could, could sign a player as a draft and follow, and then they'd go to the collegiate realm in which then college college coaches have no responsibility whatsoever on if they tear up a pitcher's arm. Like even less than they do now, which they already don't really have much responsibility for, but at least they know if they want to continue to get players in the future, they have to be able to treat pitchers somewhat well enough that they can get drafted. Right. They have to, yeah, they can't develop a rap. It was worse. Yeah. But I mean, draft and follow allowed players to play their way into big contracts. And that happened 
a number of times where guys yeah, were able I, to they were able to play themselves into a big contract that they wouldn't have gotten if they had just had to have been forced to sign right after the draft or whatever. Well, they were I able think to that go was, through the year and then and Zorinsic mentioned that. That was one of the points he, he mentioned was the guys who did end up signing generally had really good seasons. So what they signed for was more than what was originally expected. Right. They earned they earned a big bump in what they were going to get. And that yeah. that worked for a lot of guys. And I think that, the, you know, the fact it doesn't exist anymore is kind of sad. Well, but. were they a lot of JUCO guys? As That's well? what draft football had it was to be for JUCO. Okay. It was JUCOs, yeah. Because Arietta was a JUCO guy who then went to TCU. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, JUCO guys, the way that it worked was JUCO guys were, you were allowed to draft them in June and follow them. Man, I think you were allowed to follow them into a month before the next draft mm-hmm. and then make a decision as to whether or not you were going to offer them. So you could follow them all through that entire next season, you know, because the, that's the, the JUCO season is you know, in the spring. But could they turn that down? Absolutely. So they could, if all of a sudden they shot up and they were going to be like a top five pick, they could turn that down and then. Right. But then the team, but the team had the option to then offer money that would match that. Yeah. Say, cause there weren't, there weren't the draft caps at that point. That's right. Right. So guys could yeah. just, yeah, you could sign for whatever. But, and the, but the Brewers will, got Manny Parra that way. They got uh, Dana Evelyn that way. Who else did they get that way? Those are the two that were in the article. Well, he mentioned somebody else too. I want to say, but whatever. Anyway. Yeah. I think one of the other things to get back to the question about any specific expectations. Um, I've talked to a couple of people just to kind of get a feel for what the brewers are doing. And everyone says, no, nah, they're connected to everyone. Like they, they don't have any specific position they're going after after they don't have a specific profile they're going after. They're just, they're just basically going to have their I would say they have a board set up. They have they're a, just going to take whoever falls. They have a big board and they're going to take the best available. Yeah, and I mean, it, as we've seen with like, I mean, Keston Hero last year that they were saying, you know, some people had Keston Hero up number one or two on their entire board if they felt comfortable in in you know the the elbow. And so like the board isn't the same for every single team. And I know that maybe seems mundane to say and obvious, but. It, it is important to know, especially after like maybe the top five or six players boards just are going to look vastly different. And so it's not like they're going to have a everybody's board looks like Baseball America's and then they're going to take, you know, if all of a sudden the number eight person on Baseball America's list falls to number 21, that's who they're going to take. It could be somebody else on their board, obviously, but they're going to be looking for the highest. I think they're going to be looking for the highest possible upside. I don't think that they're going to be looking for somebody that could be a back end starter or something. I would be, I think they're going to look for either a college bat or they're going to look for a really high upside uh, prepster. I don't think that you'll find a scenario unless somebody really unexpectedly falls. I don't think you're going to see him take a, uh, a college, a college arm. JP, is there more proprietary information for teams going into the draft? So there's less group think like as far as what they're doing with players. Well, there's less proprietary information. Um, there are a lot of different relationships that scouts are able to build. And, and so much comes up to make up on this too, because you're trying to extrapolate based on such young people that like teams have such different opinions on different players make up that it causes the board to change a lot. Um, but everybody's bonus kind of their bonus pool is so different that, 
that actually changes what you're able to do, right? I mean, if you are a team like we've seen the Phillies do it, we've seen so many teams do this in which if you are able to save money early, your board and you know you can save money early, your board looks vastly different. And you can make a player fall at that point. You can say to a player, hey, if you're around at this point, we're be, we'll be willing to offer you, you know, $2 million or something. And the Which spots of course, around technically that technically you're not allowed to do. Oh yeah, of course. But it, this happens. And so they can make a player fall to them where basically a player will tell a team because the, a team will say, Hey, we would like to draft you here and we're willing to give you 1.2. And the player can say, Nope, not interested in 1.2 because they know they've got a, a $2 million offer or whatever from that team sitting in their back pocket. So well, they can, that was the biggest news from uh, Jason Groom from last year's draft in which two he years. kind of had a, was it two years ago? Two. Yeah. Okay. He was in the quarter ba- draft. He basically had a, I don't know if you want to say an unspoken agreement. This is like a, the rumor, right? Is that he had an unspoken agreement with the Padres in which they were going to sign him for an X, X amount. And then that's where that's where his you know his family said he was going he was going to San Diego. Jason Grimm was telling everybody he's going to San Diego, and then Boston drafted him, and everyone was mad. Because, well, that was there were a lot of rumors about Jason Grimm. <laughs> well, right, but, but I was choosing to not talk about. <laughs> no, that. I know, but I'm just saying he that whole situation was weird because he went a lot later than people thought he was going to. I mean, he was being people were talking about him in the top two or three picks. But as being yeah, a guy that could the, go there. In the draft, they absolutely were not. He was connected with the Padres. Well, no, people were talking about him as a potential top two or three pick. Not on draft day, they were not. Well, maybe a little bit before then, but whatever. Hey, <laughs> this podcast. When they're putting together like boards on who the best uh, who the best players are, yeah. Is there less playing the board in a baseball draft because they all have different rankings? Like, if they get that mixed up, do you basically have to go with top of your board is it you can't sit and say this is the top of my board but i know that like he'll be available later in the draft oh to try to make a guy slip well i mean it depends on what you think you can do with the amount of money because it all comes down to jp was saying this it all comes down to what kind of financial resources you have that you can plug into the draft and if you can manipulate it so that guys will fall to you you can do that but it's a dangerous game to play so you have to you have to, people have to manage that carefully. And it, you know, the Daz Cameron one is the, the classic example of that, where the Astros made him fall way lower than anybody thought he was going to go so that they could take him and give him a massive bonus. So, you know, you just kind of wait and see how that all plays out in the, in real time. But it's hard to, to know in advance what's actually going on with that stuff. Cause it, it comes down Things still, it's a draft that still does manage to surprise you as it's going on. Mm-hmm. Even if you've read all the stuff, even if you've really followed it closely, like I did the last few years, you could still be very, very surprised by what's happening because not all the information is necessary, necessarily public, which is like how the Jay Groom thing happened where he ends up with Boston instead of San Diego, which, yeah, you know, people did talk about that. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. it's also it's also important to recognize too that, especially in such a large pool in which you're talking about high school athletes and college athletes and JUCO athletes, you are 
talking about a situation in which like there are so many players that are in the same talent group, right? Like the same valuation of guy who could go at 10 versus a guy who could go at 35. There's not that much difference. Yeah. And especially that's true in this year's draft. I know that people have talked about this being a particularly good draft in terms of being able to pick where the brewers are picking that you're not necessarily getting a big difference between maybe number 10 and number 25. So that's been a, a thing that I've heard of from a couple different you know, podcast that I listen to about this, where mm-hmm. people evaluators have said that you can get talent in different. It there's not a huge drop off. Yeah. So the draft starts June fourth or sixth. Fourth. Starts tomorrow. Starts. Wow. Yeah. Tonight. The, I guess. the day this is released. This, yeah, yeah. It'll it'll start that evening and it'll go through the sixth. Yeah. Correct? It's a three day draft. That's when we get to rounds eleven through thirteen, where the real excitement happens. Eleven through forty. Yes, that's when the real excitement happens. I thought it was just 11 through 13. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. Uh, We had a lot of questions this week, um, but Joe Woodridge got this one through. Uh, Would love to hear the gang's thoughts on JT Real Mudo. Uh, Is he a realistic trade target for the crew, and what would it cost to make that move? So, JP, you're the one who wanted to weigh in on this one. Yeah, it's a common one that I think has been coming up even before the even before the year, I think we've been hearing some stuff about Rio Mudo, but it's certainly been something that keeps coming up on Twitter. And it's it's obvious why. I mean, Rio Mudo is one of the top catchers in Major League Baseball, and he would look very good in the Brewers organization. He has He's a young player. He can hit for average. He's got more athleticism than a lot of catchers do, and he's under team control for a long period of time. But because of that, I don't think he's a realistic target for the brewers just because i don't think they have i don't think they have the pieces that would entice the the marlins to be able to do that um and i know that ryan's opinion on this kind of this dovetails with his opinion and in which they the marlins have shown for players that they do not need to get rid of for monetary reasons they don't lower their price tag so i don't think it's necessarily something that the brewers could go and get yeah it seems unlikely they got rid of their guys they needed to get rid of when they got rid of Stanton and they got rid of Ozuna because they already at that point were, they charged the Brewers a market price for Yelich. We were not getting a discount when we got Christian Yelich. We got him for, you know, I still think it was a good trade, but they got him for what the market was asking for. So I don't think that you're likely to get Real Muto for a discount and yeah, you're right. He is. You're looking at a guy who still has his. He has two years of control after this one, and you're not going to get that unless you are willing to pay a really, really steep price. So, I think there are there are other needs that they have that supersede that. So it just doesn't make sense. Okay. And I I'm just not necessarily sure that you're going to see the Brewers go out and make the kinds of trades mid season that so many people want. To happen just because outside of Keston Hira, there's not a lot of really high impact pieces in the Brewers organization right now. Corbin Burns, and Corbin Burns, Kest- Corbin Burns. I mean, I guess, but again, he's not a high impact piece. Corbin Burns would not be somebody you would be targeting as a headline of any piece if it was coming back to the Brewers. 
I mean, depending on what the player I was giving up. No, yeah. no, 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 no. There would not be a scenario in which you would want to be able to bring a package coming back in which the headline piece was a starter. Oh, from that perspective, yeah, maybe. I mean, that's a that's a different thing. He's a legitimate top fifty prospect by numerous rankings. So, from that perspective, well, yeah, I but, mean, two two and a half months ago. Well, I don't think that's changed. Do you? I, I don't, don't think that he, just him being you know mediocre, given uh, he hasn't even been mediocre. He's been fine away from Colorado Springs. I don't think it would have anything. I don't think it would have anything to do with his stats. I'm saying that I don't have any reports on on his velocity, how his pitches look, uh, whether his command has been good. I don't know anything about that. We haven't heard anything. And so the all of the reports coming on his prospect ranking being in the top 50 in a couple of places was all in the way that his stuff had ticked up throughout the year. Okay. And if that That's has go, if that has gone backwards, there is a question of whether or not he's a top 50 prospect and all prospect lists are just snapshots at a particular moment and everything changes sure um i'll be interested to see what what kind of comes out mid-season um and i maybe it was just a coincidence because timetables in terms of the starting rotation lined up to be able to bring freddie peralta up and he was already on the 40-man roster i think it was mostly the 40-man roster thing i mean it probably was but i think that there is another if there's another scenario right now in which they need to bring somebody up from triple a, you would imagine that it's still going to be Freddie Peralta over Corbin Burns, right? Because he's still on the 40 man. Well, Burns doesn't, well, yeah. doesn't Woodruff I, I, get the call before Peralta? Yeah, I was going to say, does, yeah, yeah, actually Woodruff. Yeah. Woodruff would get the call over that, but I'm yeah. saying that if, if Corbin Burns were that good of a prospect that you're talking about right now, he would be forcing his way into this rotation. He could potentially. Yeah, you're right. There is, there's at least some reticence on their part because they're not moving him to the very front of the line and forcing him in to the roster. And that's not saying he's not still a good prospect. I'm just saying he's not as good. I don't think that he's not he as good as valued, he is not. He is not valued in the industry as highly as you value him. Well, that's probably true, but he's there's definitely a gap between him and Hira. There's definitely oh, yeah. a level there, but I think that Burns is. He's the number two. There's, I don't think there's much, much question about that. Are we going to get into a prospect ranking argument? Nah, we'll we'll save that for uh, whichever week you're particularly annoyed, and we'll do that like extra long that week. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> we won't do it on the minor. We won't do it on the extra podcast. We'll do it now while you're present. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll give you all kinds of updates in the car, preferably daily updates on on Corey Ray. Preferably. <laughs> well, those I always look forward to. But I, I should say, we will do prospect uh, lists on this podcast, even though we have the minor league podcast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we joke about it, but later on. Um, last thing before we go, we do have a Patreon question from Scott Molin who asks, is it um, any concern about Boone Logan yet? Small sample size, but I think a lot of fans want to fire him into the sun. So uh, what do we do about that? Are we worried or did did Jennings just set a bar so high that Logan Logan was never going to uh, attain that? Somebody's always got to be the fall guy for every bullpen. I feel like that's a a true thing where like no matter how good a bullpen is, somebody has to be the worst, and that guy's always going to take. And Drake mm, isn't currently on the roster, right? Drake's gone. They got rid of Drake, so Boone Logan gets to be it. 
I mean, I'm not, I'm not convinced Boone Logan needs to be here for the whole year that they don't necessarily need to keep him around because Dan Jennings has been good. They did sign Boone Logan. Right. But he, he can still be let go. You don't have to. I'm just I mean, saying. The Red Sox just released Hanley Ramirez. I know. Anything's possible. <laughs> the Red Sox do that. But no. you're saying just like completely dump, um, dump Logan's contract. At, at some point during the year, it would not surprise me to see Boone Logan be out the door. That would not. The, Brewer, the Brewers have done that with with contracts. Right. It's they not. Did that last year, they did that last year with Tommy Malone. Right. It would not be particularly surprising to see him end up on the outs. Did Malone get paid as much as Logan? I don't even know. He was paid over a million bucks. I guess. They were on Logan's, the, they were on what, a couple million? That. Yeah. It's not that much different. I think on my end, I am not, I'm not ready to give up on Boone Logan for multiple reasons. Number one, it is a small sample and relievers like Boone Logan can go through really great stretches and they can go through terrible stretches and it's hard to be able to figure out, you know, when and why that's going to happen. Um, but I think the most encor- most encouraging thing is in the last couple of outings, I actually think his stuff has looked way better than when he first came up. I mean, he was popping 95, 96 miles an hour his last, his last time up. Um, and that'll so, be huge. If, if that continues, then that would be a reason to keep him around. And the vast majority of the reason he struggled is he's struggled to throw strikes. And I think his, his walk rates over seven per nine at the moment. And that's not going to happen. Like it, it might happen for the next couple of weeks and then it becomes untenable. Um, but if given an opportunity to pitch throughout the entire season, I feel pretty confident in saying he's not going to walk the same amount he's been walking thus far. Uh, so he's going to be better, but I also do think that if they need to get rid of somebody, if if they were to make a trade, perhaps for another reliever, or I don't know, like they just wanted to bring up Adrian Hauser to be an impact reliever. I don't know what the scenario would be, but I do think that you would probably see Boone Logan as one of the first out at the moment. That's crazy to me since he was one of their free agent signings. I mean, but he was not paid... A, a tremendous sum of money. So, but, but well, no, he, he wasn't. He, he wasn't. If you had to get rid of somebody, on, if you had to get, if you had to get rid of somebody in the bullpen at the moment, who would it be? No, I agree. I totally agree. I, I understand it, that argument, but it's just so funny to to see that that situation come up, which says a lot about how good the bullpen's been. Well, and to be fair, yeah. it actually might be Jacob Barnes. Like it because Jacob Barnes was just down a triple A because he can be option, and they don't have yeah. to lose him to send him down. Yeah. So, I mean, Which, he he could be somebody that was sent. I think Jacob Barnes is probably a, a little bit stronger of a hold on on a position. But um, I mean, to be fair, they also did sign Dan Jennings. He wasn't. He was well. Available. Yeah, but they signed Jennings. Was it right before the season started, or had they actually started when they signed Jennings? It was right at the start of the year. It was. I can't it, remember. It was. It was uh, right after opening day, and that's how they got G Man Choi on the opening day roster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Jennings was an interesting one because Bo- Logan went to the DL and they were able to go out and grab Jennings. Yeah. Yes. That's basically how we ended up on the roster. So, yeah. Sure. Look at that. We can't even remember how the season started. <laughs> it's any hey, roster hey. moves at this point. It's hard to keep track. Oh, yeah. So, any thoughts before we wrap this up? 
on 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 roster moves, I was just trying to think to myself, is Adrian Hauser actually on the Brewers roster right now? I can't actually remember. No, he's not. If they're on the 40 man at this point, I just I figure I can talk about him as being on the roster and probably be close by by the time somebody <laughs> listens to this if somebody's listening on wednesday i mean there's a good chance that adrian house will be on the roster yeah, or so. like they were on the roster within the last week yeah <laughs> yeah hey if we're talking about them they're probably on the roster right now but if you're listening a couple days later then i'm you know anything's up for grabs so yeah i mean don't hold us accountable for that <laughs> no we we really don't like accountability so no please just no accountability don't. here don't try to hold us accountable. To so on that note, uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash MKE tailgate patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcasts. And as we said earlier, that's going to be a draft recap. So uh, definitely jump on board for that one. And you can listen to past episodes. You can listen to past episodes and we're hopefully going to have a special guest. We, we can tease it that much, right? Yeah, I think that's probably fine. So, and as far as past episodes go, we have, what, about six? Four or six of them? Mm, I think this will be the fifth. You, you probably have four episodes, but about six hours to catch up on. Yeah, something like that. So it's worth it. So anyways, uh, you can do that, or you can sub- submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com, or you can submit questions through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and we're in the Google Play Store. Uh, You can leave reviews, help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and again, look for us next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.